0: And welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I'm Gally filling in for Timuchin, who is somewhere in a Chicago suburb, freezing his little Turkish hands off and watching his daughter play football, playing football at a higher level, I'm sure, than our boys, because she had an assist within the first 15 or 20 minutes of the match with a nice through ball, which means she completed one more pass than anyone in the Liverpool final third on saturday morning so we'll bring him back maybe later he may jump in he may comment or jump on we'll see but as all folks misery loves company and well paul and i love to be miserable so it's that time of the week time for trivia and time to bring in our friend bj the self-proclaimed trivia geek
1: that's what i am i geek and i know things
0: you do. Well, at least you know things. I mean, the geek part is, is I think that is one of those subject things. Like, because in some levels, it's cool to be a geek. In other levels, it's not. So I don't think you can call oneself a geek nowadays. I think it's almost like, it's, it's almost become too passe. Um, but I think in your level, you can, because, well, you've been geeking for much longer than what before it was cool.
1: Oh, definitely. And I'm right in that intersection between geek, nerd, and dork. I got all three which is scientifically very hard to do
0: probably needs its own podcast to define the difference between a geek nerd and a dork. Um, But I do know that I have a buddy who listens to, or who hosts a show called the dork podcast. And I find it hilarious because he always defines the difference on the podcast of that exact thing. Um, And uh,
1: Isn't,
2: isn't the cross section of all three of those just star Wars.
0: Pretty,
1: pretty, I pretty much. Hate, I, I hate Star Wars since this. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: I See, I don't know the rules on these things. It made sense to now me how we, we break the show. But one other thing we always do, even before we get to trivia, he was a minute or two late. He must already be missing to <laughs> Um Greetings from Houston, as always, comes in from our good friend, Alan Walnut. Alan, thank you, my friend. Good to see you. All right. All right. BJ, so, let's get to ruining my day. Let's,
1: let's get it on. So here we go. The title of this one. A kick in the. And for those listeners not seeing the video, there's a pair of peanuts there. So that's what it felt like watching Mo's kick go as the Harry Doyle, the baseball broadcaster, said just a bit outside. Uh, That that was really painful. Um, Got me thinking about penalty kicks. So. Stupid thing of advance. There we go. Premier League matches while Klopp's been the manager, we've had five different players have taken penalty kicks. Name them,
0: Paul. Do you want to do this together and go like one after another, and then sure like, you Either can tell first us from, or go second. Yeah, you know. I, so I'll go with the I'll go with the first and most obvious because well we saw him kick one into the stands on Saturday morning. I'll start with the
2: most recent Mo Salah. Okay. I'll go with Mr. Reliable, who had just been on the pitch. Everybody thought was the first PK taker and should have taken it. And I will go with James Milner.
0: Yep. Those are the two most frequent. Who else? Um, So I know this one. I mean, if I'm wrong on this, actually, I can't be, because I know he's taking a penalty. And I know that it had to have been under Klopp because he signed him. That would be the always questionable, (laughs) currently form Fabinho.
1: Yep, Fabinho was right. Ignore the buzzer. Fabinho is one of them. Two more.
2: Uh, I'm going to go with the other Brazilian. I'll go with Bobby. Bobby Firmino, I, correct.
0: That was going to be the tough one for me. I do remember he took one, right? Because he took one the day didn't someone gave it to him so he could have his hat trick. Um, this one's going to be the challenge. It will be the challenge. I'm, I'm 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 fairly confident that this one is incorrect, but I am gonna say it. I know Cosgrove put up, uh, Benteke in the chat, and maybe he is right. Um, but I'm going to, like usual, not go with the help because why would you do that? I'm gonna say Sturridge. Sturridge did take a kick, but unfortunately, it was in a, uh,
1: what was it, an FA Cup match? Mm. Right oh, oh this says Anderson, league and, uh, We're talking Premier League.
0: I remembered that one. He took that. I remember him taking that kick um, because, again, I think, wasn't it? He was going for a hat trick and they gave it to him and then he missed.
1: It also eliminates uh, Origi and Mane, who also took kicks, but not in Premier League matches.
2: Yeah, my guess would have been Sadio Mane, so I would have gotten it wrong, too. So are
0: we just going to go with our listener here and act like we used yeah. the phone a friend. We'll go with the phone a friend
1: which is Kazi. I think that's a very wise idea because yeah. that is in fact who it was. Sala Milner, Fabino. Romano Fabino, and Ben Tuckey. He only took one. I
2: bet you, I bet you Ben Tuckey was out of breath after that.
1: And I'm going to
0: give definitely given Kazi um Perfect, definitely right? given Kazi the uh the adding to the pod tonight you know sometimes sometimes his comments his comments take us down a rabbit hole or change the discussion of the pod but very often he does have the um he is the phone a friend when we need it during trivia so appreciate you jumping in Kazi proud of myself I remember the Sturridge one I I for some reason felt like it was in the league but I do remember that um and it was a last from David it was a last minute winner Versus Palace, he sings for Benteke, and I think it was you get these up. a lot more than I do, so yeah. BJ, as okay. always
1: We're nope. not done we're Well, not we're done. supposed to be okay. done after
0: we get four-fifths of something right, my friend well, That's how we're four. supposed to end this how You many are like attempts? a root canal
1: How many attempts have there been? Between those five how m- Ballpark, how many attempts have there been? <laughs> 282 How many matches? 284
0: I'm gonna say like twenty
2: three.
1: Oh?
0: Yeah,
2: I was more in like the thirty-five range.
1: Yep, it is forty. With Look at Cosy
0: go. Yep. I guess it's David Cosgrove uh Trivia Night.
1: It's his show, he gets the award. And we scored thirty six of the forty. And note, Vivino, Firmino, Bentecki, 100%. Millie only missed one.
0: 36 of the 40, and they were all perfect except for, obviously, Mo and Milner. Right. I remember Milner's miss. He hit the post. Um, He hit the post out of infield in the first half of a match. I, I, I know Mo missed twice. Obviously, he missed this one, and he missed the last one he took before it, I'm pretty sure, against Leicester City. Uh, He might not have missed the last one, but he missed the one against Leicester because then he didn't follow it up with the header. But I don't remember his first miss. Uh, Paul, you remember the first miss?
1: He went like 10 or 11. Dude, I'm
2: lucky to remember what happened last week. I don't know how you guys remember specific matches like that with PKs. It's wild to me. (laughs) Well,
0: obviously, BJ, uh, we we appreciate you bringing it on. We appreciate you bringing one that we actually could come up with four-fifths of the answers to. Uh, For the listeners out there, I told BJ earlier that I had massive dental work this morning. And if I'm slurring my words at all, it's actually not because I'm drunk. It's because I'm sober for once on this goddamn pod. Um, it helps, but I actually had a big ass tooth ripped out, had a screw installed for an implant right into my upper jaw. And, uh, It wasn't exactly how they planned it. So it's going to be a long couple days of uh, rest and recovery here. So, and on top of that.
1: It's still less painful than watching the match on this last. uh,
0: Yeah, that was, that was basically a root canal except for I didn't get to use FSA money and no one gave me any time back or paid me back for the time that I spent (laughs) there where I was actually paid for sitting in the doctor's chair this morning. On Saturday, I was not only not making money falling behind at work, I was getting angry and, well, probably creating new four-letter words, and I'm not sure that the dog is actually ready for that type of energy at 7.30 in the morning. Um, but he'll get used to it because I got a feeling we got a few more of those matches to come between oh, here and the tomorrow. end of the year. But All right, PJ, thank right. you very much. Have Thanks a great too. week. We'll see you on Monday. Take care. PJ segment is brought to you by – I wish we didn't have that, and I don't give a bleep, as it is every single day. uh But we genuinely appreciate you being here. So, as always, please get involved with the program. Chime in, comment. We'll bring them up on the screen. There's just two of us tonight, uh, so we have no third man in. So we could use all the extra comments and areas to take this conversation because, well, you know, I'd like to not commit suicide by the end of this hour. So let's start with the lineup that comes out Saturday morning. Um, you know, it's 6.30 here in Western Massachusetts. I see this lineup, and it's basically what I expected, to be honest. Um, Might have liked to seen a little bit of rotation. Paul, any surprises here? Anything you would have liked to have seen the gaffer do different?
2: Uh, <clears throat> I think I <laughs> – I think I would have liked to see Bobby start here. That's probably the difference. Uh, But, I mean, I don't know where him or Jota, like, are on fitness. So, I mean, I'll trust trust the Gaff here. But, yeah, I probably would have liked to see Bobby start in this spot. Other than that, I don't really have a problem with this lineup. I think this is probably the freshest set of legs available. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the lineup,
0: especially coming off of four or five clean sheets in a row in the league. I felt it was important to keep some consistency at the back. Uh, Though I thought Simicast looked good in his appearance earlier, what it was against Palace or whenever he played last, I thought he actually played really well. uh, And he shows that he actually offers something a little different than Robertson going forward, which is kind of exciting because I think at this point, Really, we're it's it's Robertson giving us the whiff and adding to the attack going forward. It's not really Trent. We're almost asking Trent to hang back more, which again we'll talk about Trent. I feel like almost puts him into a place of um, not confusion, but where he like almost starts fighting with himself. Do I stay within the tactics? Do I go forward and play to my skill sets? And I think sometimes you know a guy like Trent who's off form and maybe at times in his career, has been a little too overconfident or things have come so easy to him. I think these are moments of a career that are very difficult to pull out of. And I think we see it in him getting lost literally on the pitch at times. Uh, And I felt like there were a few of those moments in the first half where even though they weren't getting at him, I felt like he he was weakening the defense with his positioning and his overall defensive awareness again.
2: I mean, yeah, I, that's just been a consistent theme, right? I mean, I think – I think there's a combination of issues here, right? I think – like, I think Timushin always says, and and I think this is the really scary thing, is that this team seems to go as far as Henderson does in the midfield. And I think that's the real – I mean, when we look at the heart of this thing, I just wonder how affected Trent is by the fact that we just don't have the legs in the midfield that tuck in behind anymore. We yep. just don't. And – pretty I, I you know we said we talked about this at length on other pods I just I think that he's so far in his own head at this point like I think we've seen moments of brilliance from them but he just doesn't seem to have the confidence he doesn't seem to have the his tail up and I mean I think there were problems all over the place in this one I mean I thought you could look at Darwin and Kanate as our, our future right and I thought both of those dudes were uncharacteristically sloppy um, from the get. Mm. Um, and I think that was a scary thing. I mean, because we talk about the fact that this team has been ridden to death, right? Well, this lineup, 60% of it's 24 years or younger. So like, and we're out of every single competition. So like, you can't tell me we didn't come into this competition somewhat rested off the back of like as good a win as you could possibly have for morale. So like, it's really, really concerning to see this team come out, um and perform that way I mean it was a team that just looked like they never woke up Getting off the bus Yeah and I
0: I do want to get to Canate And Nunez because I thought Nunez was Really really poor especially in the first half I mean he was god awful if he gets yanked At half there's absolutely Nothing he could have said I thought it was a little Better in the second half Um I, I was about To go I think where Kazi was going with his comments I, I thought for the first 15 or 20 minutes too they were really good Um but I, I I do feel like this question, the second question, why are we so bad when there's the slightest bit of adversity? And and I I do really feel like that's the scary part. And I think the idea that we were that bad, coming off such a big win, with being able, we were the first match of the of the weekend, so we had the opportunity to put pressure on everyone in the table around us, including maybe the weakest and softest Spurs side that, you know, the softest Antonio Conte side that's ever been put together, right? <laughs> a, a player thinks they can actually take runs at an Antonio Conte in the media. You know, like, the wheels are falling off Antonio Conte's bus. So, I just felt like this was a real opportunity. And I've made this comment before on the pod. I never liked the look of Virgil when he's wearing the armband. To me, he looks like he tries to do too much leading everybody, and I think this also comes back to maybe part of the reason I don't love what the side looks like when Virgil's wearing the armband is it means that Milner nor Henderson are on the pitch. So we miss the leadership, and we miss kind of the, the guile in the midfield, especially Henderson's pace of keeping the ball moving, um, to, to Mutchin's point. I thought Van Dyke was scarily poor in this match, and not just from – making mistakes. I thought Kanate was rash and made errors in judgment. He went for tackles. He shouldn't. He pressed high up when he shouldn't. Uh, he was allowing players to spin behind him. Right. The, I mean, as soon as you realize how fast that kid is, everybody has to at least have it in their mindset. And to me, that's normally when Virgil is calm and patient. And in this match, he didn't look calm and patient in this match. He looks slow and lethargic. He looked like a guy who honestly didn't care that much. He completely quit when he got his feet messed up on the goal. Um, he doesn't track back as bad as it is that at Canate plays, you know, the player on side or Robertson, whoever it was, just as poorly as Van Dyke's response to it. And then he just walks to the touchline and 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 he's yelling at people once again as they're taking the ball out of the back of the net. And to me, that's not calm as you like. We can sing the song when it works. We got to point kind of the finger when it looks like the blame. And he has not looked good for me for a few matches now. And it was eerily scary to see the drop off in this match against the side that belongs in the championship.
2: I think that's the problem with Verge, though. I mean, if you remember, like, peak Virgil, it was like he was cool hand Luke, right? And so, like, when he's not performing at that level, all of a sudden that looks like apathy. You know, like and that's the problem. Though, I think is like when when we were crushing it and, and Virg just got that sort of presence, he looks like a Rolls Royce, but like when everything is sort of in tatters and he still looks that way, like like you know, nothing bothers him, then like that that's an issue. And like you know, that, that's the crazy thing about this team. Like this goal goes in in under 30 minutes and heads drop like this has gone in on the 90th. And I don't understand in a match this, of this magnitude, right? I mean, and this is nothing against Bournemouth who's playing their best football right now. I mean, they took Arsenal right down to the wire. They're playing good football right now. But the fact of the matter is, is like this team – should have known how important, how massive this game was off the back of the last match with the table sitting the way it is and re- really us being three points away from being back legitimately in the conversation. And They go out and not only lay an egg, but like just have the body language of a loser. Like that was a losing mentality. Like you go down 1-0 under 30 minutes and then they, they like never looked like a team that thought they were ever going to score. They just didn't like, I mean, we had moments in the second half, but you could, it's just really, really difficult to watch this side who we used to call mentality monsters just look like mentality weaklings right now. So we get to half, right? We get to the half. Uh, Klopp does the
0: unthinkable, right? He, he makes a substitution, um, putting on, putting on Jota at the half pulls off Elliot, were you surprised it was Elliot that he went to first, and either not Bajic or even one of the one of the front three, like a Darwin, and just kind of kept in the shape, especially coming off of how well Elliot had played against United the week prior?
2: Um, so I wasn't surprised. Is it what I would have done? No, I just think when he looked at his options and thought well, I've got to have two people that can win the ball in the midfield. So I can't take off Fabinho and I can't take off Baj. So, like, that leaves your options limited. I think you. I think he's looking at Darwin as probably lightning in a bottle. Like, he's been shite, but he can also pull something out of nothing. And he's one of the few players that's done it for us this season. You're not taking off Mole in that spot. So I think you're down to sort of Harvey, who – You know, for all intents and purposes, that entire midfield was pretty much crap the entire first half. So I thought, I think he probably thought like just by process of elimination, that's the best, that's the best one.
0: So as we, as we progress forward, obviously the next round of subs, he does the triple substitution. He brings on Henderson and Milner and was it Bobby? I think he brings on three at once Um, and he goes to, he goes to Bobby Milner. And Henderson taking off the two midfielders who started, which was a little shock to me. I thought it would be Bastich, if anything, um, and Nunez. I, I didn't think he would. I, I I didn't think he would take off Fabinho there, um, but he did. Leaves Bastich on the pitch, maybe sending a statement, and of course the big one. He takes off Trent down a goal, just after sixty minutes is that a statement about Trent's play or do you genuinely believe that Jurgen Klopp thought Milner gave us a better chance to not only score, but to see out the match with a
2: win? I don't think it was a statement. I don't think like from what I've seen from Jurgen Klopp is I don't think he like, I think he will make substitutions if he feel like he feels like a player continuing to play is going to critically hurt that player or the team. I don't think he makes like statement substitutions. I do think he genuinely thought that having Milner, essentially what he was going to do was have Milner play a more traditional back four in that system and then push his attacking options forward. And so I think in that scenario, from a tactical standpoint, it does make sense to have to Milner come in. And he's probably just looking at I have to get all the pieces that are on the bench that I think can put something together on the pitch. And then I've got to pull people off. Like, and that was probably the one that made the most sense. Um, it's very similar to how Harvey went. Um, so I didn't have a problem with that. I don't think it's a statement of Trent. I think if we were going to have a Trent not playing as a statement, it would have happened ages ago. David Cosgrove
0: says, thought Milner was great. His cross for the pen is brilliant. And I actually I actually agree with him. I thought Milner was very, very good. I I personally thought Milner might get the start in the match. Like I, I think we're coming to a point where Milner starts starting some matches at right back. Because to David's point, I think the underlying numbers recently is, is that James Milner's actual like chances created per minutes played at right back over the last like two months are they dwarf. Trent's. Trent's really not creating opportunities for us to score goals, and he's not even really getting into those spots, and if you then create defensive liabilities or you're making other players worried about having to cover for him, I think then it does weaken an entire side of the pitch, and I think we've seen that, and I think it trickles all the way down, right? We've talked about Trent has suffered because Henderson's not playing behind him, or in front of him to tuck him behind him. Mo has suffered because Henderson is not consistently behind him, playing like Henderson. Um, so I can understand that. So let's go to the penalty. Obviously, they award the penalty. Um, before we talk about the miss, the the selection, all of that. We talked about this briefly before this. Your thought process is: it is a pen. Var makes the right decision And that's primarily because it was Because you believe that the shot is on target If the hand isn't there In natural
2: or not Right, I do I don't think it's a natural position I do think that it's not Like, yeah I think if it's any other part of the pitch It's probably not called And you could probably make an argument for that But the fact of the matter is Is that if his hand's not there That ball goes in And I think they had to At that point They have to award the thing
0: So um Was Other than the fact that my TV was clearly on delay and therefore um, Megan's expletive all the way from Seattle, Washington uh, at about 5 a.m. in the morning, (laughs) uh, let me know that this was not going to be good before he even kicked it. Um, When you saw it live, could you believe how... Not that he missed but that he actually missed it
2: that poorly? I mean, nothing surprises me. I feel like I've had this pit in my stomach since the Fulham match, right? When everyone's thought us was going to be just a one-off. But yeah, no, he missed it horribly. It's probably still coming down somewhere on the South Coast. But yeah, it's it was wild. I mean, the fact that he actually, the keeper actually left before he
0: kicked the ball. He literally could have just side-footed it and rolled it straight down the middle. The guy was already diving before he had actually struck the ball. And I understand, you know, you're running up to it at all surprised. I know he had the big sit down interview with Steven Gerrard this past week where penalties came up that he was actually asked if he was on penalties. He was asked what his mindset's like. And Mo actually said he hates taking them. Um, Like he doesn't like taking penalties. Did that's like? Does that sentiment surprise you? Because I know for you know, I know after Harry Kane kicked the ball in the World Cup, that you know English supporters will be thinking about for a long time. The first thing he said is is like, I can't wait until I win another penalty because I need to get back up and just drill one and get back on it. Are you worried at all about the hangover here from a guy outwardly telling
2: someone I don't like to take penalties and then kicking one into Rose Ed? It's, a, it's an odd one. And I don't know how to react to that because honestly, I've never even had this discussion, which is kind of weird because like I've been around football my whole life, but I've never really had a discussion with a striker or somebody who regularly takes pens. Like I can tell you in my playing days, I I took them in shootouts. I I was not the primary taker for any of the teams that I played on. I didn't like them. I loved winning them. I didn't like taking them. I wasn't I mean, I was serviceable at them, but I was never one of the best. Uh, But I just never, never really cared for them. And I don't, it's interesting because I'd love to like, I wish there was a truth serum that you could just basically panel and ask like 25 primary PK takers how they feel about them. It's interesting because I feel like if you're probably, if you're the primary PK taker, you're probably fairly good at them and you like scoring goals, so you probably do enjoy it. So it's an odd, it's an odd thing. Like if someone was to ask me, I would tell them that I didn't particularly care for him, but I wasn't the primary kicker, right? So like for a primary taker to say that it is is definitely, I feel like that's pretty unusual. Especially considering how like people don't realize how hyper competitive Mo is. Like he's he, I would say I would venture to say he's probably the most competitive person on that team outside of like Hendo and Milner. He's but like, you know, I mean, he's he's been very public about the fact that he's chasing goal records at this club and a lot of players will stay away from that. So it's an interesting it's an interesting comment in general. Alan, Allen says, I honestly felt he
0: meant to miss it. Um, and, I, you know, I would have loved, to, I guess, understand that one there. Like, what exactly was he meaning to miss? Like, did he miss it, Alan? because he felt it really wasn't a penalty? Because I don't believe that was the case. I mean, is the dude giving the double birds to supporters alike who traveled all the way to the south coast in the snowstorm? I mean, you know, I we bring up all the comments here that we can that make any sense whatsoever. I got to be honest, maybe maybe I should have done that because I don't know that this one makes any
2: sense. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine that.
0: Kazi said, "Would love to love the manager to explain that. Why is a lad who doesn't like taking them doing it when you have two lads?" On the pitch who should be above him And those lads being Milner and Fabinho um, And if he doesn't like it He should just pass it on I I don't know that I would You know I would love to hear him say I don't want them Because I feel like there was a conversation A couple years ago where He went to Milner because he wanted the penalties Because he felt like he was not winning golden boots and falling behind on other players and goal records, et cetera, because he wasn't taking the penalties. So it'd be interesting to me to see, you know, what some of his splits are at the same time. I am with Kazi. If he genuinely does not want to be taking penalties and Fabinho or Milner, who are very comfortable with it, are on the pitch and would like to take them. I'm all for it. I also believe that Gakpo has a very good penalty record for both Netherlands and PSV before he came here. So, you know, if there's an option there, maybe down the road, I will say this. I saw Darwin take two for Benfica and one for Liverpool in the uh, community shield. And I could never see Darwin take another penalty again. Cause he almost looks like he's going to run full speed up to the ball. And then he like stops without a slow run up and it just doesn't make any sense to me. So, Darwin makes me nervous. I also think sometimes guys who play with that much high energy aren't able to get their body down to a calming place that you need to take a penalty. Um, but it is interesting, and I think all eyes will be on this side the next time they get a penalty awarded to them,
2: especially if it's in a big spot. I don't know. I he, did. He's put him in at like a ninety, an over a ninety percent clip. I, I mean, and he's been doing it for years, so I think he. He grabbed the ball. I took the spot. I can't believe that. Like, I can't believe that he's ever had a conversation with Jurgen Klopp about not wanting to take him and being on pens. I don't believe that for a minute. I think that probably came up in an interview, and that was probably a surprise to Klopp as well. I don't think he's made that public. I don't agree with having Milner step up with his first kick of the match being on there because then we're all talking about how it was Milner's first kick of the match. It's like it is Chris Rock's selective outrage. We're only talking about it because he missed it.
0: Yeah. And that that is true, and I, I I I do completely understand the the overreaction portion to it. I mean, I did joke in Discord if that was mill if that would have been Milner's first touch of the match, that might have been Mo's fourth, but it was the seventieth minute. So you know, part of that is that the guy did look like he was kind of drifting in and out of the match throughout the entire thing. So of all days, it was not one where Mo Salah looked like he had his confidence shooting boots on because if he did. He would have scored once or twice Before that point point.
2: And his reaction man It brought out the smile police So we're dealing with that all week as well
0: Well that is That's a whole other one right Was he happy yeah. Was he sad Does he like to be at Liverpool um, So We're going to go to The Champions League matches midweek here And we will get to the Real Madrid Liverpool match But You know, we have a little extra time today. We thought we would touch on some of the other matches that are happening. So you got the big two tomorrow starting, of course, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time with Porto hosting Inter up a goal. And then the big one, we'll save that for a moment. Uh, City versus Leipzig at the Etihad Stadium with all 14 fans probably facing the other direction and booing the uefa anthem even though it's the tournament that the owners want to win these supporters really have to figure their shit out at city right they're going to hate the league when they get uh docked points and they get found for breaching league rules but they really hate the champions league even though the champions league gave them a slap on the wrist because they want them in their competition really supporters figure your shit out but inter and porto um you know, if we had a chance to move on, I'd be heavily rooting for Porto because when Porto's in a draw, Liverpool gets them. Uh, but seeing the fact that I see the quarterfinal draw is not having us in it. What are your thoughts on Inter versus Porto tomorrow? And can
2: can Porto turn that around? I mean, sure they can. It's a, it's a one goal aggregate. I think Inter is probably too strong, personally. I, I don't see Inter... I, I can't see any other result than Inter going through, um, so I think they're probably the heavy favorites there. they play been playing some decent football, um, but yeah, I think I think Inter is probably a little bit too strong here. I'm with you. I'd be pulling for Porto too if we didn't need a thousand hail marys and a miracle.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I said the same thing. I will say last year when Porto was going up against Juventus at Juventus down a goal, and I thought they had no shot, and then. I think they not only came back and won the match, I think they did it with 10 men, which was even crazier, um, which is classic, this shit can't happen, and then it happens. You know, I think in this case, Porto's best chance is to, you know, nick a goal 1-0, try to force it into penalties. I do think Inter is a superior side, playing a little bit better, and I think the fact that they don't have to put – Too much eggs into the Serie A basket With Napoli already having the Scudetto one At this point I think they can focus on this And really try to make a run here And I think they have to like this matchup I think they go there tomorrow looking to kill it in the first half Try to score an early goal And if they can get Latoura Martinez or Lukaku on one early Then I think they're in a prime position And I think they're one of the scary like Quiet teams that could go on a run here Um, And and do something fun in this Champions League Because surprisingly there isn't really a Die in the wool favorite at this point But if we talk about the favorite And the betting favorite It is the other team that hosts a match tomorrow Which is Manchester City The favorite to win the Champions League at this point uh, Through all the different betting sources across Europe Were you shocked that Leipzig was able to not score the uh, Guardiola goal that they got off the header, but were you a little shocked that they were able to withstand the City attack and hold City to only one goal? Because Leipzig hasn't had a great job this year from a defensive standpoint.
2: Yeah, I was. I was surprised that they just kind of bullied City, to be quite honest. I thought they were the more physical of the two teams, uh, which I just did not see coming. And honestly, I know they haven't had a great year, but I could see them pulling this off. I really could because I don't think City is playing well right now. I mean, and I don't think they've played particularly well for three, four weeks now. Um, I mean, they're getting some results, uh, but I, I just don't uh, – They look bereft of ideas At times Um, They're doing this thing where There's not really A nucleus for a starting 11 That seems like it's gelling Um, You know it's Foden's had moments uh, Silva's had Moments even though he's playing in more of a Recessed position Uh, Graylish has started to come on at times And then obviously Hollins Went off to the scorching start With and it was just scoring at a record pace and still putting them in but i just think that at times like it seems like they're almost trying to force play through him and i think that that is to their detriment
0: what do you what do you make of the fact that Guardia has sat kevin de bruyne a healthy kevin de bruyne two of the last 5 Manchester city.
2: So we've all as Liverpool supporters, how talked about what a dream it would be to say, to see De Bruyne in our midfield, knowing that he's a Liverpool supporter or fan since he was a kid. um, And thinking that he would be just sort of like the creme de la creme in our mid. And I still think that, but I think something that has gone sort of overlooked with KDB throughout his career is that he is an extremely temperamental player that has issues everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. He is known as somebody who self isolates, who has oftentimes been cold to teammates, uh, and I think that you know we always joke about how miserable he looks at cities because he's got to deal with Kyle Walker and bullshit like that, right? Well, we can joke about that, but to some extent, I think that KDB can be a problem for a team yeah. um, in I, terms I, of if they. I, Go ahead. No, dude, I you're good. You. No. I- I'm sorry. I was going to say, I
0: actually agree with you. And not only do I agree with you, I think as Liverpool supporters, we love poking fun at Bruno Fernandes, right? But the difference is Bruno Fernandes is an absolute, you know, asshole. He looks like a dink. He whines, he cries, he rolls around on the pitch, right? But to a man, Portuguese teammates, sporting teammates, United teammates, everybody defends him and everybody loves him. You never hear anyone defending Kevin De Bruyne for throwing his arms up at players. You never hear a manager come to the podium and talk about him. Even Roberto Martinez would kind of throw shade at him on the Belgian side saying, we not only need our best players to be our best players, but to also be the best leaders. And I think Pep, and if one thing we know is Pep will fall out with a player no matter how talented they are. And he he will just find a reason why the side is better without them. And part of it is, yep. is that he's got $500 million worth of players behind him. And it's easy to mask that. But I do think De Bruyne is in a tough spot. I have the sneaky suspicion that City will come good tomorrow and play really well and that Leipzig will be set up on the counter and use their pace. But because of that, will maybe give too much possession to City and they'll be at home. And if Holland gets one early, I could see it getting away from them. But I'll say this. The longer that thing is level, 1-1, one, one. God forbid Leipzig go up 2-1 in this thing. This will yeah. be Olympically own all over again. And this will be this will be their greatest failure if they don't get out of this tie. Because the Champions League has never been set up so well for them to win. You know, Madrid are Madrid, but they're down. Liverpool is all but out. The other side, I mean, there's, you know... AC Milan is playing poorly, can't score goals. Bayern doesn't even look like Bayern. PSG's out. I mean, it the, the stars are aligned. If City were going to win it, it might be this year. And really, they should go do it. In my opinion, I hope the other team playing tomorrow or on Wednesday, like I hope Napoli just keeps this amazing run on. Anyone who has not watched them play yet You have to watch this team play They have the best striker under 25 In the entire world in Asaman They have the best I'm not even trying to pronounce the On the left wing The Georgian kid's amazing The the Georgian kid's amazing The Osman kid's amazing Uh, Both of them will be in the Premier League Within two seasons too, which is scary One could be at Arsenal And the other could end up at United Which nobody wants to see either of Um you know, I'd really love us to get in there, but the last thing we're going to do is go spend money on a left-sided attacker. So I don't see it being a Liverpool move for either of those players. But I would love a team like Napoli. I could take Inter Milan going on a run. Um, you know, obviously, I don't want Chelsea or, or City to, to go any further in this thing. But it's it's really interesting. It's going to be and make for a really interesting later stages – I think this is Napoli's
2: to lose. If I'm perfectly honest, I think it's Napoli's to lose. I, I think top to bottom, floor to ceiling from start to end of this season, they've been the best side that I've seen consistently. They're just absolutely running through everybody in Syria. And internationally, they've been just as dominant. I mean, they've got that talented front three. They've got a midfield with Zielinski and some teeth in it. And they've got a back four that are consolidated. I think that they're going to be a really, really tough out. I to me, they're the team to beat. That's crazy to
0: say that, right? And it would, yeah. it's crazy to think that the team to beat in the Champions League is an Italian side, and it's not Juventus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I will say, we all got, we all love poking fun. I had to look at the tables today to be prepared for this conversation. We all love poking fun at Juventus, and they're four points outside of still qualifying for Europe even though they had a 21-point (laughs) pain. It's It's unbelievable. Um, So quickly, we have to talk about it. It's in the name of the podcast. So Liverpool-Real Madrid, Wednesday, 4 o'clock, trailing 5-2 to on aggregate. We all know we had the two quick goals and the wheels came off. Is there any hope? And what would the approach be? if you were the manager, not Jurgen Klopp, if you were the manager going to Madrid on Wednesday?
2: Um, I would put out a side that has seen as many winning magical moments in this tournament that I had. I'd put Milner out there. I'd put Hendo out there. I'd try to see if I could get some minutes out of Bobby. I'd put Verge out there. i put all the big guns out there. i put a strong lineup. I would try to keep this thing as loose as possible before the match. I don't see any reason to go. I think the fact that you're down three goals, you have to turn into a positive somehow. And that positive is, is that you shouldn't have any fucking nerves. Like, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's the positive. Like, and I would go out there and let's see if we can make some magic hoping one last time, fellas, you know, that, that would be my message. It's like, you know, and I would probably just show nothing but tapes of, us coming back versus Dortmund, us coming back, you know, like Istanbul, us coming back versus Barcelona. I would be showing all the big moments, and I'd be showing the big moments with these guys in this side because they seem like they have forgotten who they are. Um, and uh that's probably what I do in the hope for the best.
0: Yeah, I saw one, I saw one um writer talk about like this would be the match he would start with four attackers and two midfielders and just go for it. And just be like, I'm coming at you. Sure. I'm going to play Bobby in the 10 and literally play him up top with Gakpo, maybe play Nunez on the yeah. left, play Mo on the right. You know, you're going to have to that's ask good. a lot and, and you might be right. Then, you know, maybe it is. It's you know, it would be old man Milner and Henderson or either Fabinho and Henderson in the, in the mids together.
2: And just kind and of, if, roll. You go down, if you go down a goal and it doesn't happen, you can swap it out, and put the kids in. Like, I mean, well, that's that to me, there's two schools of thought you either.
0: Go and try to score in the first five minutes of the match. Yeah. Hope to get a second by the half. And now it's like, whoa, it's 5-4? Like, they're yeah. not really going to do this, are they? Because it will creep some doubt in. The problem is they're not weak-minded Barcelona. They're Real Madrid. And, you know, Madrid will still score in the 89th minute to break your heart, even if you were to come back and make it 3-0. It's just how it'll go, in my opinion. I do think you go at them. But I I think the other school of thought is, is is this a match to give people experience and to make a state, not a statement to Klopp's point, but like, is this where you get Carvalho 45 to 60 minutes of play? Cause he's not going to get much run in the Premier League the rest of the way. Do you give Simicast maybe a Champions League start? Do you put a player in the shop window and hope he has a turn the clock back moment and someone in Europe pays too much for Matip or pays more over the, you know, moon for another player. It's a, it's an interesting idea, and the only thought process around it is: is we do need these guys to have legs. The only thing is, is they don't have to play a match for 21 days in the Premier League. So, and I am so time
2: for Jurgen to just completely troll the shit out of me and play a 4-2-3-1. It would be
0: hilarious to start Bobby. <laughs> I almost feel like Bobby. I almost feel like Bobby has to start for the plain fact that it's literally his last could be his last chance to get a start in the Champions League at a big club like Real Madrid. And I, if anything, I think Bobby Firmino has deserved the right to kind of have a moment, whether that be... And we know we'll have a couple more between now and the end of the season. So what better way to segue into a topic, something we love on this podcast and we've loved from our comments and... Obviously he's made his 250th appearance for the club league appearance for the club. Um, what a legend. I think if you had pulled many supporters in 17, 18. There's no way they would have believed he would have reached the heights that he has just because there was so much pressure put on him when he came from Hoffenheim and we had the surprise signing, you know, I'd argue it's, probably the best signing, I don't even think it's a probably, it is the best signing uh, of the Brendan Rodgers era, I think it was probably right up there with Sturridge, right, those two players are probably the two most important players signed by Liverpool while Brendan Rodgers was here so I ask you Paul if you thought of your favorite, and it could be a couple goals, moments any ones that come like immediately to mind when you think of Bobby Firmino, other than them big ass teeth that convinced Klopp to go invest some money at the, uh, at the dentist around the corner.
2: Uh, there's so many with him, man. And the great thing is like looking back, you know, somebody posted on YouTube all hundred and some of his goals or whatever. And then I was watching some other videos through my fucking tears. And uh, I, I swear like the, the videos that that show his assist are just as amazing as his cold videos. If mm-hmm. not more. And there's like, some of that's, and like how I don't know how you find that. You don't just typically see that with a striker, right? I think the moment that's sort of I think there's a couple. Um, I think the one where, you know, he's he's off the back of the eye injury. He dribbles for the entire PSG back line and then puts it in and does the eye patch celebration. That to me was iconic. I love a good goal celebration. That's why I was like three months uh, on longer on the Barini train than most. Um, just purely on the goal celebration. Yes. The knife. I wanted the knife to stay, man. Like I wanted that to work out. Uh, anyway. Um, I think. So the thing that's special about Bobby to me, obviously is because I think he redefined the way to play that false nine position and the way that he did it was so incredibly unique in terms of the fact that he had the Brazilian, flair and almost like the soul of Samba football, but he had the heart of like the docks, right? He had like a blue collar, a blue collar motor in him that you just don't typically see in a Brazilian player. Um, and I thought for me, the goal of city probably personified that more than any goal. The one where he comes in and basically just shoulders John stones off the ball. On a 50 50, just basically shoulders him off it, squeezes past him, and then puts it in far corner. Uh, And he's a big, I, I think it was a goal that was just out of being tougher than somebody, stronger than somebody, and just like just being grittier than somebody. And I think in that moment, it was such a big goal. And he's just a big time player in a big time matches. Um, and I think that he, you know, I, I feel like I didn't have enough of them. Like I keep thinking, like I didn't have enough Bobby, right? But then I see him setting up assists for like Sturge and Coutinho, and I'm like, dude, he's been here for fucking ever. Like,
0: well, that, you know? and I think that's what I realized watching those same yeah. videos because I watched. I, we probably, you know, went down the same YouTube hole. Yeah. Because um, he got the these ones in the top twenty five goals plus twenty five assists, and you do realize, like. All the different iterations, right? The the Bobby before the teeth. The Bobby with the small the top, top knot. Not yeah. The top knot Bobby. And, you know, I, I know I get criticized here on this podcast. You know, Timutia loves to pull fun. Like, I hate it, Bobby, because I was, you know, willing to question whether or not this was coming to an end last year. Not as much that I wanted it to happen. I wore number 11 all my life. I was bummed out when he gave up number 11 because I wanted my favorite player at Liverpool to always wear number 11. Dirk Height was my favorite player before Bobby. I love the number. Um, maybe it's the 14-year-old frame. It looks good with two skinny little ones in the middle of it. Um, but I've always, I've always loved the number. I love the player. I was so excited when they signed him uh, from Hoppenheim. Now, granted, I thought we were signing the number 10 player that I had been clamoring for forever, and then never proceeded to actually play him in the role. For me, I think you could find so many goals. The PSG winner in stoppage time, you know, it's a Champions League. You come on in stoppage time and break their hearts. That's an amazing moment. Um, and with the with the eye celebration, when he dribbles through the entire world against Arsenal and literally puts three guys down and then just slots the keeper, like just like just side-foots it and like laughs at him as he runs away, that for me is like – pure Bobby because it was everything great about Bobby. There was no like high flying moment. Anyone, anyone could bring up the Stoke volley because it's an amazing goal. But like, that's not Bobby for me, no. that's just him showing he's a world-class talent. But to me, the goal after watching all those videos that still blows my freaking mind is the, uh, the left footed swiveling volley Off the chest, off the ground Against Swansea So this is like second year I think He basically is in the middle Sturge is out left They're at the cop end He flicks, Sturge like just lofts one up Bobby literally goes Chest in full spin Takes it to the ground As it hits the ground He hits one of those volleys Right with his left foot And puts it into the upper Like top left corner Keeper has no chance it was just it was like everything that the touch, the movement, the body position, everything that gets that Suarez had that all these great goal scorers have that Bobby Firmino never gets talked about having because mm-hmm. for every one of those touches, there were five or six different touches that set up other players being in for easy goals and um, the, the little tap over to uh, lay off to Harvey earlier this year, where Harvey bends the one in um, the one where he does the, the, the basically the Cruyff turn and spins it back to Mo and Mo puts it top corner. It's, it's literally the stuff that like you can't make up. And I'll say of all the people that I got to see play uh, when I was there last year in that final match against wolves, there was nothing better than seeing Bobby Firmino playing that match because you not only saw the player, I saw firsthand the joy that comes through on TV and then to be in that stadium, you know, right behind where your right shoulder is and to be able to listen to them sing and sing the song to him and see him at the end of the match doing the victory lap with his daughters and his wife on the pitch, like. It embodied everything that this club, that is good about this club. And, you know, I'm actually sad he's leaving, but I'm happy it's going out this way. Because I would have been really, really unhappy, man, if they told me this in June, and I didn't get to savor every single last moment. He deserves an Origi-like moment on the last home day, and he's going to get it. And it's sad that he's going to go, but I'm happy he's doing it on his terms. And now it sounds like, like it's literally like Barcelona, Juventus, Inter Milan, AC Milan. He goes to Italy, man. He is just, the game is going to slow down and he is just going to score goals on goals. And I hope he does go to another good size club and gets an opportunity to still be a part of something great instead of just getting three hundred and fifty thousand 000 a week to play in the middle east and by the way if he takes the three hundred and fifty thousand 000 a week in the middle east i do not
2: begrudge him but i hope it ends better think, than that for bobby when was the last time that a player as loved as bobby voluntarily left the club and did it in a way where he was universally loved the way that he is like he's just a special spirit like when you talk about his, you know, his comment to Klopp where he said like this has been a beautiful story and I'm looking forward to uh, having a like this having a happy ending this ha- you know and having another event like just the way that he frames that so fucking beautiful like it's like and it's it, I don't know in a weird way like I almost felt like he was trying to give people closure like you know what I mean it's almost like he developed this like he really thought about this came to a decision. And then the way that it, it wasn't this, like, no, nope, it's time for me to go. I'm going to go do like, he really thoughtfully framed this for, for people who um, I'd like to think have invested as much time and emotional energy into this club as he has. Like, and I think that that's like super important. Like, I think that he's just a beautiful fucking spirit. And I think the way that he framed that about this being a journey and that this has been the best years of his life. Um, and he under, like he has the self-awareness to understand that his game is where it's at right now and that his body is where it's at right now. And like his best, his best opportunity to end this chapter and to end this sort of story of his career is to go do it in another environment. And I think like just the way he sets that up, um, I just thought was so emotionally intelligent, but I, I, If if you've watched him, you can't be surprised by that um, because that's just who he is. And I I think that this team, as much as this team relied on his sort of unconventional rewriting of the false nine role and how much that meant tactically to this side, I think his spirit has meant as much to this club as anything else. And so when I say profound loss, like I will grieve Bobby, like I've grieved the lowest of lows in my life. And I think that he's going to be a massive, massive hole in this club. Um, that's going to take a lot of, a lot to fill.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I think when you hear the other players and teammates talk about him, and, and it's not just here, um, the Brazilian teammates, his Brazilian international teammates have talked glowingly about him, though he's never held a big role under any of the major international managers because he didn't play his youth football in Brazil, and they're just idiots and you know they can't see – that you can learn a game in Germany just as well as you can learn it in Brazil, even though he might epitomize how Brazil wants to play football more than any Brazilian forward they've had for years yet, never wanted to utilize them. But his teammates would always talk about him in such high regard. I know Virgil van Dyke recently was asked who is best, who the best Liverpool teammate he's had. And he was like, well, that depends. Are you asking who the best teammate is like the best person, the best player, or the one with the most skills or who can do the most? He's like, nah, it doesn't really matter. It's all Bobby Firmino. Yeah. And I think that's what like it comes down to is, is he barely ever learned the language, yet he became Scouse. And, yep. you know, I don't like speaking that way, but I know like the people I met when I was there meeting David Cosgrove and hearing how Cosgrove Kaz- has talked about these Liverpool players and the ones who really make it in the community. I also look at even some of his negative moments, like the way he handled – being arrested for drinking and driving and not hiding around it and not like it was an embarrassment. It was a blight on the club, but he stood right up and answered all the questions said, I won't let these mistakes happen again. I have a family and I need to worry about the people I could hurt. And like, he just, I would argue, it would take a long time for me to think of something that didn't make me happy about Bobby, but it would take even longer for me to think of something where in any way, he let me down and some of my favorite heroes of this club and players I've loved have let me down at times, including guys like Steven Gerrard and, and clearly, you know, Luis Suarez and people that I enjoyed watching, but it was difficult at times to root for and or support. And I can't imagine those emotions ever coming over around Bobby. So, um, you know, it'll be sad when he leaves, it will be great. um, and, you know, we'll we'll get out of here on this. David Calgrove says, I think of the gate push and the aftermath of that must have put him in a real awkward position. And I remember that, too, because I remember saying, this kid's going crazy. Why is he going crazy? And, you know, again, to the credit, there were a couple of Everton players coming out and being like, I didn't hear anything said out there on the pitch. And I feel like that's where, like, the rivalry almost overlips, eclipses itself because they were like, we're not going to let one of the good guys get painted a racist because you were mad that you got pushed into the boards, and you know got spoken down to a little bit, um, but we're gonna get out of here on this prediction for Wednesday. What is the final score of the aggregate as we head
2: back from Madrid? Uh, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go seven four. So I was, I was gonna say. Six
0: four, but that's ultimately saying that we get a two to one win at the Bernabeu, and that is a very very uh, tough one there. Kazi says three 0 Genuinely think we go through. Man, that would be the most. That would be the most Liverpool thing of all time. I'm gonna say we come up just short, and I am gonna say um, it ends up just being like six to three. You know, we end up with like a 1-1 draw. And that second goal, that you know—that last goal, I think, was really the killer. Um, so we're out on this. We will be back. As always, um, please go to our YouTube page. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. We really need the clicks and the follows. Give us a like. If you'd like to get involved, feel free to send us a message. We, we're always looking for new volunteers, whether that be – on the tv side production side want to write an article or maybe just help us with some social media posts we're always looking to expand the team and of course if you missed to mucin go ahead and tune in on wednesday morning 10 a.m he'll be back for the morning coffee show it'll be a little bit of a pre-match for the madrid match he'll go a little deeper into that maybe give you his thoughts and maybe he can give you some of his favorite Bobby moments at that point. Cause God knows he's got a few. All right. For myself and Bickler, it's been a lot of fun. Bickler safe travels tomorrow on board in the flight. And uh, we will be back same bat channel, same bat time next Monday. And we will not have a premier league match to review. So at least we know we won't lose any matches in England. Folks have a great week.